We're going through uh, the Beatitudes. We come today to blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And you know, when I begin a sermon, I usually have a very short introduction, kind of introduce the subject, but more often to show our need to talk about this. Well, today we're talking about peacemaking. (laughs) And if you don't already, after the last two weeks, sense a need to hear God's voice on that subject, then nothing I could say was going to move the needle, right? We see the need for peace. We desire peace. But what has gone wrong, and and what does Jesus mean that we can be peacemakers and his blessing is upon us? That's what we want to explore today a little bit. Now, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of verses about peace in the Bible. And we are going to look at each one in depth. So I hope you brought a lunch. Just kidding. We're going to summarize them in three main main points, and I think these are in your sermon notes here. First, and this is the most foundational, is that peace is a gift of God. Peace is a gift of God. It is not something we attain ourselves. It comes from God through Christ at the highest price. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, you have the, the great sin, the fall of mankind. And then what happens right after that? Right after that terrible chapter, in chapter 4, you have brother murdering brother. In other words, as soon as sin enters humanity, division and hatred and strife, all the opposites of peace enter with it. So really, the only way to really get at the handle or or to get at this, this issue of peace is spiritual because it's a spiritual issue. And we'll, we'll develop that idea here. But before we do, let, let's stop and talk. Okay, what, what do we mean by peace? Let's define this term. Well, I, I think you could label at least five levels of peace, right? The first level is just an absence of war or conflict. We are at peace with the country of Mexico right now, all right? So there's no active war going on between us. Now, this is an outward peace. It's usually brought about, or sometimes brought about, uh, by either mutual interest or, or, again, sometimes by force or the threat of force. The emperor of the Roman Empire would celebrate the Pax Romana, which meant the, the peace of Rome. They would celebrate that we brought peace to all these countries. And in a very, very shallow sense, they were right. But it was only brought about because of their ruthless opposition, their ruthless crushing of anyone who opposed them. In fact, one of their own uh, historians said, he summed it up this way about the emperors. They make a desert and call it peace. All right, so that, that is the most basic level, the most shallow level. It's a good, it's better than, it's, a, it's alternative. But the second is the absence of malice. That is, an absence of any desire to do harm. So in this case, I'm not actually hurting someone or we're not actually at war. But I don't even want to do that. There's no malice on my part. The third goes beyond this. This is affection and love. So if in this third level, I not only not want to harm you, I don't want that. I actually want your good. I actually care about what what happens to you. Fourth level is love. Love means I not only want your good, as best I can understand it, but I am willing to give of myself to make it happen. A lot of us have affection. 
But the kind of love that's described in the Bible, especially John 4, this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave Himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love goes beyond simply wanting the good. It works for the good. It gives for the good. And then lastly, I don't know if you label this an element of peace or not, but I just put it here, intimacy. Intimacy, and, and I don't mean physical intimacy. That's a metaphor for the kind of intimacy of two souls sharing everything, desiring the same things, being fully united. Two souls, in, or, or one soul in two bodies almost. Now, out of these, which can be achieved through human strength apart from God? Well, if you're talking worldwide or society-wide, really only the first and only then for a while, right? To go deeper, to actually change us to want that, that, that love and affection is a work of the heart. So th- if you want to have anything beyond the first level, you have to deal with the heart. You have to change the heart. There has to be an internal work before there is an external peacemaking. There is a wisdom that comes from above, James says, and that wisdom is peaceable. So it's a wisdom that we don't have from below. It's not from inside of us. It comes from above. And we'll come back to that passage in James. But we need to be reminded here before we go on that just because it's a gift doesn't mean it wasn't costly. Peace is a gift. It's free to us. But it's a costly gift to the one who gave it. Isaiah 53 says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So what brought us peace was the punishment on the cross that God laid upon Jesus. Ephesians 2. Beautiful passage. And I think this is printed in your, in your notes. Paul's writing to Gentiles like us. And he says, hey guys, remember that at that time before Jesus came, you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in this world. He says, if it weren't for Christ, you had no hope. The best you could hope for is is to get along, collecting treasures and pleasures in this world, and then die. That's the best hope you could have. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. I I love that phrase. And then he expands upon that. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. I'm not sure if I put that part in your notes. I kind of abbreviate there for space. Um, But what he has in mind is this. At the temple, which was designed to be a place where God's presence was symbolized, not only to Israel, but to the entire world, at that very temple, a wall had been set up to separate the non-Jewish people, to separate the Gentiles from coming any further. A wall had been set up. That's what he's talking about. He says that's what symbolically has been broken down in Jesus Christ. But notice what he says here. God had a purpose in this. And his purpose in saving you and I was not just to bless us, not just 
to forgive us and make us his own. That was part of it. But his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He came and brought peace. And this peace means that he has brought us into this new humanity, Jew and Gentile together. And I believe it goes beyond that, of course. I believe he dealt with that first because in the ancient world, there was no greater division between people than between Jew and Gentile. It was a racial barrier, Jew and Gentile. It was a cultural barrier. It was uh, a religious barrier. All the barriers you can think of were wrapped up into the, the division between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, if you know your Bible, you know that if you were a Jew, you could not leave this premise during that time. You cannot leave after, after worship or any time and go to the house of a Gentile. You cannot be under their roof. You cannot stay with them. You cannot eat a meal. And, uh, and God had to really whack Peter on the head to, to get him to see that he is now doing something very, very different. And you can see that in the book of Acts. It was, a, it was this tremendous racial and cultural and religious and racial barrier and God says, I am bringing them together in one new humanity. It's almost as if you had two young men, young teenagers who were, you know, they already had gotten involved in gangs and they were opposite gangs. And they, and they all, all the anger and hatred and, and history of violence between their gangs were now within them because they were part of that. And someone comes along and adopts both of them into the same family. It says, I'm giving you a new home. That's almost like that. Would, what that would be like. Now, so by the grace of God, you and I have been forgiven by, from all of our sins by the cross. You have peace with God. But the, here's the final word. Or here's the next word, sorry. That's not the final word, because what comes next is this. We are first the receiver of this gift of peace, and then the giver. We are first the receiver and then the giver. That brings us back to Matthew 5, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. Peace is a gift of God, but not one to be hoarded, but shared. We are to live in peace and to give peace. Now, what does that look like, though? How can I be a peacemaker? Well, Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what he has in mind here because I, I don't think he probably wants to limit it. I can think of at least four ways that we are called to be peacemakers uh, in the Scriptures to sort of flesh this out. First, and, and I, I really think it has to start here, that we ourselves are to be peaceable. That is, we are not only to have peace with God, but also through that to have the peace of God within us. So that in our dealings with each other, in our dealings with other people, we ourselves can be peaceful and loving and considerate because the peace of God is helping us root out bitterness and envy and rage and anger and selfish ambition. There's a few uh, just brief verses I summarized there in your notes. 
1 Corinthians 7, we are called to peace. Mark 9, 50, live at peace with each other. Romans 12, 17, I love this because he, he reminds us. Sometimes we can only do our part, right? If it is possible, as far as it lies within you, live at peace with everyone. Romans 14, 19, make every effort to do what leads to peace. That's a big verse right there. Make every effort. Stop at nothing to make that happen. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you are called to peace. Hebrews 12.14 Make every effort to live at peace with everyone. 1 Peter 3 Seek peace and pursue it. I love the passage from James 3 here because most people think that James was probably a, a brother of Jesus. But in any case, he apparently had been taking these words of Jesus to heart of the Beatitudes. Because this is almost like his, his summary, his wrapping up of the, of the Beatitudes. Listen to what he says in James 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, again, are you already seeing how that ties in being poor in spirit? You see some of the Beatitudes being reflected here. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, what wisdom? Seeking to get ahead, being revengeful, being unforgiving, wanting to use other people, wanting to push my way forward. He says that wisdom, and I, I think today he would have air quotes, that wisdom does not come down from heaven. But it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. All right, now we're talking serious. Demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, so again, it's a gift from heaven, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Again, just reflecting those Beatitudes, right? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So this is what we're called to. We are called to receive God's peace. He has given it this pardon with him, and, and not only that, an intimacy, a fellowship with him, but he also asks us then not to just let that you know, fill, up, fill us up, but to flow out of us towards other people. Now, when we think about this, maybe we should be asking God, is there someone that you're calling me to be more peaceful towards, to be more considerate, to see things from their way? It might be a sibling, right? Especially when we're young. Getting along with our siblings is a constant challenge. And maybe the call of God to you today is to say, are you willing to seek peace in that relationship? Do you want, do you want peace or do you want to be Right? or to be known as right. What, what's your goal here? We might have ongoing disputes with our spouse, with another family member, with a parent or child. We might have uh, disagreements with a coworker or, or someone in our neighborhood or people at school. And I think the, the question God wants to ask us here is, are we really making every effort to seek peace with these people? 
Are we seeking in humility not to push forward our own way, but instead saying, God, help me to be an instrument of your peace? Second way that we can seek peace is this. We can seek peace by helping bring peace to the relationships around us. You might have people in your family <laughs> who are really struggling to get along, right? Coworkers or classmates or so on, they're not at peace with each other. You have a role in that. You have a role to play. You can be someone who is pouring water on that or pouring kerosene on that. You can be someone who seeks to cover the faults of those people with the blanket of grace, and I'm using the words from 1 John and, and, and also from the book of Peter, cover their faults with, with, with grace, like a blanket. Or you could be someone who chooses to expose that more and more. Gossip. Gossip will always bring divisions. But not only that, just siding with someone uh, when really what they need is, is to understand the other person's point of view. Sometimes we have no idea how just our words can be peace or bring more division. You know, uh, last year, a man from Missouri, 68-year-old man from Missouri, went out to California, and uh, for whatever reason, I haven't been able to understand his motive, and I'm not sure anyone has, but for whatever reason, he went and he bought 15 bags of fast food, filled them up with napkins, and then he went along a road, a highway, and he lit each one of those and threw them out. And he started a fire which consumed 168 square miles and took firefighters incredible amount of resources to put out. And he was recently convicted for that crime. Sometimes people are doing that very intentionally. And it's, it's up to us to, to, if we're able to, to stop that going on. But, you know, there's another story that haunts me even more. Kind of related to that, this is a story of another fire in California that consumed much more. It, it blazed for most of the summer a, a few years ago, destroyed multiple houses, took many lives. They finally figured out what started it. They finally understood, and it was a man who's riding his motorcycle in the hills. He stopped, he took, he lit a cigarette, he smoked for a while, threw the cigarette into the brush. And then he watched it, and this is his testimony, his admission. He watched it kindle a little bit, didn't think much about it, hopped on his motorcycle and left. In other words, he had no intention, like the other guy, of starting a fire. But the very act of seeing something starting to smolder and just walking away led to disastrous consequences. And this same or epistle of James says, Behold, our speech can start a fire like that. And we don't never know when you start a fire or let a fire smolder where that's going to go or what it's going to do. All right, third, we can seek peace by seeking justice and righteousness. There is an unbreakable link between peace and justice. I, I love how Psalm 85 puts a very poetic language. Righteousness and, and love, righteousness and peace kiss each other. And that's their way of saying that you have to have those two 
kind of together. That's, that's God's ideal, as it were. Injustice and unrighteousness always create divisions and barriers, and they will always be exploited by the evil one. Sorry. Now, this sounds good in theory, but how do we actually do it? Well, I sent an email a few days ago, 75 suggestions on things that we as, as white people can do to understand and combat racism. I'm not going to read all 75. Um, but instead, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Sometimes it's not a simple thing. And what works for me may not be the same thing for you. But I would simply say, let us approach God and say, show me. Show me what I can do in my situation of life to break down barriers of injustice, of racism, of division. Help me to understand what I can do. See, I could give you my opinions right now, and they would just be that, because I have the same Holy Spirit in me as you do. You don't need my opinions. But what we all need is God's voice, and that is exactly the kind of prayer that God will answer. So what I want to encourage us to do in that part is to deliberately seek God's help in saying, Lord, will you show me what I can do in my school, in my job, in my neighborhood, in other ways? Show me what breaks your heart and help it break mine and then give me the wisdom to know what to do about it. Finally, we share the gift of peace by witnessing. By witnessing. I, I said peace ultimately is a spiritual gift, right? We're not going to be able to be peacemakers unless there's the beginning of this peace within us and that comes through the gospel. I love what, what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us. We are convinced that one died for, for all, and therefore all died. Oh, I'm losing it here. He goes on. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling being bringing two warring parties together. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So this is what the cross has done. It has reconciled us to God by removing this great barrier of our sin and sin penalty. It says, now we have been given that ministry of reconciliation towards others. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the word, that we who through the rebellion of sin were God's enemies have now been reconciled by the cross and now we have the same message of reconciliation for others. What does, that, what does that mean? Well, again, this is one of those where the way this is going to apply for you and I is going to be very different. Who is it in your life? Family member. Friend at school, co-worker, neighbor. Who is it that God may be saying, this is someone I want to bring peace to. And I want you to be the ambassador of that peace. I want you to be the way that I do this. There is no higher calling than that. I don't care what you accomplish in this life. If this gospel is true, then the, there is no higher accomplishment, calling, there's no higher purpose in life than being able to be used by God and bringing eternal peace and reconciliation to someone else. 
someone that he cares about deeply. But again, that requires intentionality and an openness to God's guiding and, and leading. All right, one last point. Peace is a gift of God. We are to be not only the receiver, but the giver. And, and here's the part that I really love. The more we give, the more we become like God. The more we give, the more we become like the giver. That's the meaning. The peacemakers are blessed because they will be called the sons of God. Now, who calls them that? Well, presumably not the world, probably, because the next beatitude says they may actually persecute you for your righteousness. So probably not the world. I think what he means is that God himself will call us his sons. Now, sonship in the Bible means more than just a family relationship, like I'm the son of my father, right? And, and that's why it's, it's tricky when you translate that. You could make say they will be called the children of God, but sonship implies more than just being a descent, a physical descendant of someone. Sonship in the Bible also strongly implies this idea of likeness, of likeness. And we can get that, right? In their culture, if you had a son, your son was very likely going to do the same occupation that you were. It wasn't a law, but 95 times out of 100, a son would follow in the footsteps of his father that they were doing the same thing. So it almost became this proverbial idiom to call someone the son of something or someone meant more than just they were the physical descendants, but they were like them. In fact, the, the Bible talked about the sons of the evil one or the sons of the kingdom, the sons of those who killed the prophets, sons of disobedience. And, and what they mean is that there is a, a family likeness that's exemplified here. And, God, and Jesus is saying that can be true of us. We're already the children of God in the sense of relationship. But in the sense of likeness, God himself will say, you're doing what I'm doing. You are like me. You are my son. That is a wonderful thought. One day we will stand before him. And do we see by now that peace is so central to his heart after all the verses we read? The cross is all about peace. And when we stand before him, Will we not want him to look at us and be pleased with our efforts at peacemaking? Peacemaking sometimes can be messy. It can feel like you're missing out. It can feel like you're losing your rights sometimes. It's easier not to get involved. But if this gospel is true, then one day we will stand before him, and one of the things he will care deeply about is whether we were peacemakers. I, uh, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, and we'll just kind of end with this. It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who really chooses shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. To please God. To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in. Like an artist delights in his work or a father in their son. It seems impossible. A weight or, or, or burden of glory almost which our thoughts can barely contain. But so, it is, but so it is. Do you believe that? Because if it's true, then whatever it costs to seek peace, to be a peacemaker, will be more 
than worth it. Would you close your eyes as we kind of conclude this? Who is it if God were putting his, sitting right next to you and tapping you on the shoulder, whispering in your ear, and he was saying, this applies in this area or with this relationship, who would he be talking about? Are you willing to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in this? Father, thank you. Thank you that one day you shall reign in a way that you're not now, that you shall bring peace. You will reign over all the earth in this righteous and holy peace. Right now, God, as we wait for that time, would you help us to be those who are peacemakers? Would you show us anything we're doing that caused division or strife or that's simply unhelpful? Would you show us any, anything that's starting to smolder in our relationships with another or with two people that we know about Help us not to walk away. Thank you, Father. We love you. Amen.